0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Trite Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Gonzalez, uh, Director of Athletics and Student Life at Pacific Christian High School. We're thankful, again, like always, to Trilogy Financial Studio for letting us use their incredible space. Um, I'm excited for this week. We have two very uh, special guests on the show. We have Pacific Christian's Head uh, Director of Volleyball, Men's Volleyball at Pacifica, Tim. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Um, And then we have, honestly, a local legend in the volleyball community. Reed Pretty is here with us today. Thank you, Reed, for being here. Thanks for having me yeah um so for maybe some of our listeners and our viewers read who maybe don't know your history um i know a lot of them do but um played so grew up in you, you grew up in arizona or you attend high school in arizona I'm, I
1: attended high school okay
0: yeah uh, but you came out here for college played at lmu that's right from what i from what i said uh, my notes here um spent what 15 years or so on the men's national team is 16 that? yeah 16 that is mm-hmm. that is incredible um, 18 years I have playing on the AVP tour professional beach volleyball is that about right or
1: well no it was kind of like sporadic so I played a couple years and okay. then I went and did the indoor thing gotcha. and anytime I took a break I would play maybe a couple events here or there okay. and then the last three years I've been doing that pretty regularly okay
0: so that so so kind of a little bit here and there over over mm-hmm. the last 18 years or so mm-hmm. um, but you know. Read to to have this kind of career. I don't even want to ask how old you are because you're you're gonna embarrass me and <laughs> twenty one. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that journey and and maybe where you know being a high school podcast kind of where high school athletics played their role in that to help kind of get you ready for college and then a, a, you know an impressive career at the national level. Well,
1: yeah. So it was never there was never a master plan. Um, I swam when I was younger. I played soccer for like 11 years. Oh, really? I was never on the best teams, um, always seemed to be sort of the outlier teams. Mm. And uh, we moved around a ton when yeah. I was a kid. So my dad was a professional musician oh. who became a worship leader, who be- went to s- seminary to become a pastor and then became a pastor. So each of those like, career shifts yeah. was a cross-country move. So we wow. went Virginia, San Diego, Florida, Phoenix. Okay. And so um, when we were at Florida my last year, I was going from eighth to ninth grade and um, it was hot and sticky there. And the culture in high school was to take P.E. during summer because let's get that requirement out so we're not, you know, sweaty and disgusting at school. And so I just did it because everybody else did it. And um, it was in that P.E. class that I was first introduced to volleyball. So I was 15 years old and it was really fun and the coach was like hey I, I see some things in you um you should come try out and it was kind of the first thing i did that i remember that was sort of outside the box nobody none of my friends were doing it huh and i just went and tried out and i made it
0: at 15. so you started your volleyball at 15. at 15. Okay. yeah so it's all never those too late ki- mark know. it's never too late producer over there mark
1: you know, all the students out there and all the parents listening that feel like if their kid doesn't know what they're doing at eight years old, um, uh, you know, my whole generation actually that won a gold medal uh, is just going to completely disprove that theory. Uh, And in fact, we can get to this later. In fact, the younger generation, because I played a long time. Yeah, because you're uh, 21. Yes. (laughs) So the uh, the final years of my career, that generation was probably more talented than the team that won the gold medal but they were riddled with injuries, mm. uh, overuse injuries. And I think mm. uh, anecdotally, it was because of the specialization at a young age, mm. but we can shelf that for the end. So uh, tried out for the team, made the team. I was really short. I was five feet, four inches, <laughs> what? really? and um, I played back row. I was a back row specialist. There was no libero okay. at the time. And uh, we went 15 and 0 in the conference. Okay. And that was my, it was JV. But it was the first experience that I was on a winning team, hmm. and it was super fun. But our claim to fame really was when we beat varsity in oh, a oh, scrimmage. There you go. And, I mean, these guys had, you know, they were, they were men. They had ha- arm hair, and they were, yeah. you know, it was just uh, we looked up to those guys a ton. Obviously, they were probably just thinking about the weekend, but we were. This is your moment. This yeah. was our moment. So um, we ended up moving after that year okay so here we go another cross-country move um, it was really hard at my age to, to handle that and to start thinking about you know my own God jo- journey it was just kind of like all right you God you've got uh, my dad on a plan but like what about the rest yeah. of us here you know yeah, there's 15. four kids and uh, we've got stuff going on too like why are you overlooking us hmm. uh, I just fell in you know the first move from um, San Diego to Florida was tough for me personally because I got into surfing Okay. and then we moved away from the ocean hmm. and I couldn't do that anymore. So now here's this new passion of volleyball and now we're moving away from where this started and we ended up moving to Phoenix and um, this little town called Ahwatukee. Okay. and a new high school was just built that just happened to have a men's volleyball team. So the, you know, I'm really hyperspeeding the story here, yeah, but there no, was a no, lot of suspense of just like, Are we just going to have to move on? And it just so happened that we went to, uh, by no design of ours, that we went to the high school that had the best volleyball coach. Hmm. And it was the first year boys volleyball was sanctioned in uh, Arizona. Really? The very first year, the first year they had a state championship. That's awesome. Um, So I was able to kind of go for my passion. I played varsity soccer that year, had a coach that just made it miserable. (laughs) And my father was huge on you stick to your commitments. Yeah, yeah. And this was the first time ever in my life that he said, "If if you want to walk away, like I'm good," because his coach was just such a knucklehead. Jeez. Um, and I ended up making it through the year of uh, soccer, and then at that point, just went all in on volleyball. And it was just a pa- you know a passion led to obsession. So nobody was telling me. My parents were, were definitely trying to get me to play basketball and other sports, and I was just like. Every moment I had, I wanted to play volleyball. So it was grass, if it was rug, if it was sand, <laughs> if it was hard court. Um, and then the, the quest became, oh, I want to play in Division I California because yeah. that's where things were at. And eventually got recruited to uh, a few schools. I was, again, outside the lines of um, sort of the main pod of players yeah. that they were looking at. And um, I, had, I was verbally committed to go to USC as a setter. Okay. And uh, it's a funny part of the story. So uh, they've visited my house. They've offered me uh, theoretical terms of yeah, uh, yeah. some financial aid, which I needed. We didn't have much uh, money. And um, turns out, like, right before they were going to come and have a sign, they called and just said, hey, we're going to look at this other player from Europe and, um, huh. and see if he can pass the SATs. He just came on our radar. And they ended up going with that player, who, beca- who was Donald Sujo, okay. who became my teammate. In the Olympics of 2004, he was an Albanian citizen that became an American citizen. And I was devastated. But um, the coach of USC's brother was the coach of Loyola Marymount. Oh, me. Okay. He found out that I was uh, available. Market again, yeah. And within two weeks of me going there, uh, he was like, by the way, we have two setters. You're going to be an outside hitter. So I didn't even hit uh, as an outside <laughs> hitter. Or actually, actually I should say I hit, but I didn't pass. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of where it all started.
0: Okay, man. And then, and then from there, obviously, credible career there kind of propelled you to the Olympics a little bit. Um, you know, and and Tim, maybe you can talk a little bit into this on kind of the role maybe coaches played through your journey on that one. You know, Tim, being our head coach, and I know you you're passionate about your boys and you have them in there working. And um, I'm excited for your season to actually happen. You know, yeah. which is great. But you know, Tim, I know you had some thoughts on
2: that yeah yeah absolutely i mean we're we're so excited uh to be able to start competing soon and we've had just the goofiest year ever uh longest off season we've ever had (laughs) uh but we're having our first game coming up here on friday um and i think reed you have such an incredible journey as an athlete um is, i mean your high school story is amazing it's so fun um but even once we got into the olympics your olympic journey is just so incredible seeing how you became just the absolute dominant player uh, that you became um, one question that i had for you and you've shared a little bit with with me as well but i think a lot of people have seen the 2016 olympics uh, saw what you did in the bronze medal match uh, saw that kind of the progression of how you and the team came to that final moment, uh, I would love to hear a little bit of the insight from, from your brain as to kind of what led, to, what led up to that moment. Uh, if there was any snippets of uh, coaching from back in the day that came into play, uh, if there was any instrumental moments uh, of any of the coaches that gave you that power to do what you did uh, after a tough journey. I'd uh, love to hear a little bit about the, the mindset of a player when mm-hmm. you came in the bronze medal match.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, leadership plays a huge role, and it could be good leadership or bad leadership. So, mm-hmm. I've learned probably just as much from some of the bad coaches I've had as I have from the, the good coaches. Um, what I've found through my journey so, my journey is marked by loss. Uh, so, any chance I get, uh, any time I get a chance to speak with uh, any audience, really, um, I like to highlight that mm-hmm. I would define my career not by what I won, but what I lost. And what I mean by that is uh, that it was in those moments of devastation that I had to make an internal shift. Mm. Like the catalytic change that had to happen in my own life um, happened in those moments that, that made the wins possible. Mm. And um, I think it's really important for young athletes to internalize that. And to really maybe just like go back in the podcast and listen to that statement again, that it's in those devastation moments uh, in the valley when your season's cut short and you've got, you know, 16 months or 12 months of an off season. Um, that's where the growth happens. If you look at it, if you look at our landscape, you know, where is the most growth? It's in the valley, right? Mm-hmm. It's not at the top of the mountaintop. And I like to say that, you know, when I was on the top of the mountaintop, there's no learning there, uh, mm-hmm. it was exciting. And mm. it was special, uh, but you're looking backwards, celebrating the journey it took to get there. Um, and so, yeah, my, the two major losses I, I like to highlight are missing the 2000 Olympic team. Mm. Uh, I missed that roster spot by one. Mm. And I was actually on the bus driving to the airport and their final destination was Sydney, mine was home. Mm. And that was the first moment where I, I felt like, oh man, whatever those guys did, whatever they had to do to be on the right side of that roster, I'm now willing to sacrifice uh, time and space. And then the, the next Olympics roll around and I make the team. I'm a starter. At, we play and we end up losing in the bronze medal match mm. in 2004. And it was at that moment where I was ready to push all my chips in. So if the first loss created space for me to say, like, I'm ready to sacrifice time and space. And what that meant in my life was move away from all of my friends and family. Uh, live in Colorado Springs, which I had no roots, hmm. and commit to training. And at that time, it was really hard. My my friends were playing on the AVP tour; uh, their life seemed glamorous. They had these big social groups, all these fun outings. They were traveling the country, hmm. you know, playing on this pro tour. And I was schlepping, you know, ice buckets, you know, in Austria or hmm. living in isolation in Korea. You know, all these different things. Um, but I was, I, I felt what that loss felt like, and I had already made the the decision to leverage uh, time and space. But when I, when we lost, um, the bronze medal in 2004, it was the first moment where I recognized that I was carrying a sense of entitlement, like deep entitlement, Uh, Mm. not the entitlement of just like, I, you know, like whining, crying, but I did go to the Olympic games. Um, we beat we, we did the impossible and we beat Greece in mm. Greece in the mm. quarterfinal match. It's on YouTube actually. Uh, they were up two sets to one and they were winning 21 to 12 oh, in the fourth man. set. So they were, I mean, cue Greek music. They were all dancing. <laughs> they were totally celebrating. It was over. And we, Donnie Sujo gets yeah. subbed in, the same guy yeah, that yeah, takes yeah. my spot at USC, comes in off the bench and sparks our team we end up winning that set and then win the fifth set, 16-14. It was like the biggest comeback of all time. So going back to the Olympic Village that night, like I really sensed that mm. like this is our moment. Like it's happening. We're living out our Olympic dream. Now I can just like yeah. embrace it and, and enjoy it. And our l- next two matches against Brazil and Russia were 3-0, 3-0 out. Huh. And so it was that moment where I started to recognize that like, man, I was, I was carrying a sense of entitlement as if, this expectation, unearned expectation is what I think entitlement is, mm. unearned, undeserved uh, expectation. And you know, I started to recognize that, man, there's 144 men's athletes in the Olympic games, 12 teams, 12 players. Each one of them probably had a childhood dream. For sure they did, for sure they've been dreaming about this just yeah. like I have, and, and who was I to actually f- expect, have an expectation that um, I somehow deserved you know, in my deep inner psyche for this to happen. Mm. And it was at that moment that I realized that, man, it's up for grabs. Anything could happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, ditch expectation, enter in like push chips all in now. Now I'm ready to invest my whole self. Mm. And I think that I call this the point of no return. And it means that you reach the point in your journey, whatever your pursuit is, whether this is a parent listening uh, and they're talking about their business or um, a kid thinking about, um, you know, their athletic journey. Um, When you reach the point of no return, um, you have now, there's something at stake. So you will feel Hmm. loss. Hmm. Um, So once you reach the point of no return, uh, I remember we reached this in our startup company in sand not not long ago, uh, well, maybe a year and a half ago. And it's the point at which you realize that if this doesn't work, like I will get hurt um, it's not gonna be devastating, I'm not gonna die, but we've pushed our chips in enough to know that like we've passed the point of no return. We're not testing the waters, we're not just gonna see if it works out, like we're all in. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna have to learn and figure it out or else we will get hurt. And I think that's such an important, if we wanna reach um, and know the outer limits of our abilities, that's where we need to get to. Uh, but to hyperspeed too. you know, so I play on the team for 14 years as a starter. Uh, there's only two people in those roles and I was one of them Hmm. for 14 years. And I, I, I would play on sick days just because, um, and this might not vibe with Christian values, (laughs) uh, but I was so, um, attuned to how good everybody was that I had to compete for my spot every day and if I ever took an extended break, I would make it a point to come back into the gym and say like, you know, the coach is going to make his decision. I'm not trying to prove it to the coach. I want to prove it to the other 18 guys yeah. that my role is my role. That was my mindset. Um, and so by year 14, I'm there's a whole new crop of guys in the gym. And I'm trying to figure out where do I fit with mm. this group. And uh, we had a match in Bulgaria. Actually, two matches in Bulgaria. And the first night, I was... Um, struggling with should I retire? Like, am I done? <laughs> like, I, I just don't know where I fit with this group. And and we go out there and w- and we end up winning a really tough five set match where we were down 0-2. Mm-hmm. And in that span of time, I recognized where my role was now with this group, and I caught total vision of what the next two years because 2016 was the next games. My role needed to be or could a, could be I lead this team almost from the back yeah. uh, of like, okay, I'm not gonna be the stat leader. I'm not, you're not gonna see my contributions on the stat sheet, mm-hmm. but, um, but they need a glue man. You know, somebody yeah. that's been there, done that. Um, I've been to the dance and I've gotten hurt, you know, whatever it yeah. might be. And I knew that I could fulfill that role and I was inspired to do so. And it was the very next night that I uh, tore my ACL. Mm-hmm. And so, but with that vision and that layoff that you were referring to, uh, it was a two-year journey to get back to the Olympic Games. I do. I'm playing the best volleyball of my career at 39 years old with two bum knees. And he meant 21,
0: by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was because of that uphill grind that I actually learned new shots. So I now had new shots mm. that I didn't have when I was just a you know, hang and bang, avoid the block guy. Like, I had to like, produce when the block was up there now you know, instead of me going over it now I'm like looking up and trying to find all these new creative ways to score. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm just like, why haven't I been doing this <laughs> from the beginning? Like this is, so once my body gets back in shape, I now have all these new tools to use. Uh, but the coach is basically like, Hey, we won the world cup and qualified for the Olympics when you were still rehabbing. Like we're good. Mm. Like I almost felt like a glorified mascot. Because, like, he was, like, in video, like, hey, like, watch redo do this, watch we do that. But when it came to game time, I wasn't – my number wasn't being called. Hmm. So it was a really humbling experience. You know, one thing to get back into my own body, and the next thing to just, like, have all my pride just emptied. Yeah. Because it was – I felt there was moments where I had to, like, get through that embarrassment of just, like, um, how do I contribute yeah. if I don't touch the ball? Um, how do I still – provide the leadership that I know that I can bring without being overbearing or making it about me? How do I just support these guys um, that are trying to do this really hard thing? And it was all the way up until, you know, the semifinal where I sort of embraced that role and Mm -hmm. we ended up losing that match, um, which I think we could have won but we didn't. And I, you know, I was overcome by like bitterness hmm. because I didn't get a chance to play. And I, I felt like, man, the kitchen sink should have been on the court. This yeah. was our moment. We should have thrown everything out there. We didn't. And so the next 24 hours were really a test. Um, my family, my friends really stood in the gap for me. I'm texting. them like, you guys got to be praying for me because I don't want to finish my final day of volleyball in this career with any bitterness. Yeah. Um, they were able to uh, I was able to make a shift. Uh, it took some time. But the night before the bronze medal game, because we only have 24 hours. to yeah. Recoup basically or 48 hours, I should say. So the first 24 hours was bad. Then um, I'm journaling, trying to recognize like, uh, Lord, was this a waste <laughs> these last two years? I mean, like my family, my wife, mm-hmm. uh, my kids, everyone is sacrificed for this. And I've hardly played. Like, I don't see the impact. I don't see the, um, the results of all the sacrifice. And it was at that moment that, like, I was overcome by gratitude, hmm. recognizing that we actually have a new daughter because of the knee injury. Uh, we wouldn't have had, like, we miscarried before it happened. And it, it would have been very difficult with the competitive calendar to think about having, trying again. Yeah. We were able to have our daughter. Um, we had these amazing experiences in those two years. I actually, in those two years is when I met uh, Ben. Oh, really? And we were a part of, uh, Ben Robertson. we were part of the same life group, which was very formative for me at the time. Uh, we actually got off of the, like, globetrotting, like, no connection to people, yeah. to, like, community. community. Um, so all of this gratitude, so I was really starting to recognize that, like, wow. Um, and I actually, because this is a Christian podcast, I can share this. Two weeks after my injury, um, I was in church here in Huntington Beach and my family was in town and we had now images of a torn ACL and it was pre, this was pre, um, surgery. And so we're in there in a worship service and, um, my injury was widely distributed. It was live worldwide. Mm -hmm. So millions of people saw my injury. Now I have a, an image, an MRI that shows that the, t- the ligament tore off the bone. And so I was sitting there just thinking about, like, you know, I was trying to size up the situation in my mind. And it occurred to me that, like, wow, like, God, I think your plan and my plan might mm. have alignment here. Mm. Because if you heal me, um, it's going to look great for you. <laughs> and I'm going to keep going with what I'm doing. Um, this makes total sense because – Lord, we just got vision of what Reed needs to do over the next two years. Like, we got our work cut out for us. We got a gold medal to win. And, uh, um, awesome. and so I was almost, like, overcome or inspired. My heart was, like, just extra faith. Some, something that was a little bit out of the ordinary of my normal experience. You know, not the typical, Lord, if it's your will, would you please hear me? Yeah. Like, Just, like, this extra sense of faith of, like, I actually think that if I pray this prayer, he's actually going to do it. Hmm. Uh, So I was like, Lord, would you heal my knee? And in this like inaudible, audible voice, I hear the miracle that I'm going to do will be far greater. Hmm. Um, And it was just like, whoa, okay, didn't expect that. Wrote it down in my journal, had no idea what that meant. So it was two years later that I'm in Rio in this pit of despair trying to fight off bitterness where I'm starting to recognize the far greater miracle Hmm. that... Um, had he just healed my knee then, like I would have been the same person. Hmm. But now that I've been through this gnarly grind of this two years of just like emptying of pride and like having to learn these new tools in my craft, uh, I'm a better person. My faith is stronger and I'm a better player. Yeah. How's that happen after two knee surgeries and like no competing and being two hmm. years older. And so that's when the gratitude just filled my heart and I was able to go into that day with complete peace. Mm. Um, and I felt like I had a, I was almost seeing like a different hue. Yeah. And I was more present than I've ever been in my athletic career. So it was almost like I was just, uh, I wasn't thinking about the next point. I was not thinking about like whether I played, didn't play won, lost. Mm. It didn't matter. I was just embracing the moment and, you know, quickly within the first set, my number gets called. Mm. And so it was in that space that uh I was actually able to play to the best of my ability and Mm -hmm. I was able to enjoy the moment Uh, we were down oh two early in that match and I just kept yelling to the guys like how long can we stay out here let's just see how long we could make this game because that meant that we were we were winning yeah and we ended up winning the bronze medal so that was a long way to try to get (laughs) all the main points into that question (laughs) it's an awesome story and,
0: and it's important too you know for for our kids who, you know, we have a, a basketball player who, who just went down to an ACL. He's a senior, um, senior career, right. he has been playing four years just happened. And it's like, I appreciate your story in the sense of let's be, let's look back and what are, what, what can we have gratitude for? Like, what are the lessons I've learned through this journey? Um, and what is God going to do moving forward with this? Cause it's, it doesn't end there. We don't know what's next. We may not always like it right away, but it doesn't end there. And, you know, he really kind of has that mapped out for us. So I, I kind of appreciate that and, and your journey to how you kind of came to like this piece. Did you retire after that Olympic? Yeah, that was my last that game. That was your last game. Um, that, so that you, you got, it sounds like that little piece you were looking for mm-hmm. um, on finishing your career. Um, what, 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 you know, tell me a little bit about kind of um, the, you know, I know, Tim, we were kind of getting down that route. The impact like your coaches had on you as a player. You know, maybe a, a thing a good coach did, I mean, we don't, we don't need to throw out any names or anything. But, you know, I, I think high school, specifically athletics, kind of maybe your soccer experience, these coaches have such an important role in developing these kids for whatever the Lord has planned for them. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, where does a coach play that part? You know, Tim is a high school coach. Where does he play in that? You've been coached by incredible individuals. Where have they played in forming you as a person? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it's in a, it's – it's an amazing opportunity to shape, um, culture. And we do it one person at a time. And I think the first thing that I have noticed about leadership is you can't lead well if you don't lead yourself well. Mm. And so the coaches that have really made the biggest impact, uh, were not just, um, like talking the talk Mm. as we say, but, uh, there was a self-leadership involved in their own life where they were the right guide. They had empathy and authority hmm. so they could understand where we were at in our development process and speak into that. Uh, but they had the authority because they had gone through their yeah. journey and won mm-hmm. um, and not just win in, a, in an athletic sense, but, you know, overcome their own life to lead themselves well. So I think self-leadership is the first step. Um, I really like the uh, support challenge matrix. Hmm as like a, a great starting place to say that, that I believe the best leaders are the ones who, um, are high support, high challenge. Hmm. Um, if you know, you, we could go through all quadrants, but, um, yeah, elaborate
0: on just maybe those two. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the, the top right corner where you're high support, high challenge, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there. And uh, first of all, I'm gonna call you up. Yeah. I'm gonna see the potential that you might not see in you. I'm going to call you up to it, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to be right there every step of the way to give you everything that you need Mm -hmm. to reach your full potential. Um, So it's one thing to call you up and to not support you. Yeah, it's another thing to just fully support you, but not call you up. Yeah. Um, And so there's tough moments in the call up opportunity, um, but then being right there and even in our in sand classes, um, somebody that's not an athlete not competing I yeah. mean, we're, we're utilizing that same environment. We're trying to create this high support, high challenge, uh, because I think we're most inspired, uh, as humans when, um, that happens. And, um, we, I call it the circle of perceived possibility. Hmm. So we have, if we were in the sand, I would draw a circle around, you know, I would draw a circle around each one of us. And I don't know how big your circle is or your circle is. Uh, but we all have this, um, perception of what's possible. Hmm. And I think our goal as human, you know, I'm compelled. I wake up every day. My personal why is to push my own circle. Yeah. Like that's, that's what inspires me. That's what gets me out of bed is to try to recognize where could I keep pushing my own personal boundaries. And what I've noticed is, is that's a team sport. Hmm. So life, as it, as we could say, is a team sport. Uh, it's very difficult for an individual To practice pushing themselves but we're in the context of a team and we have leaders and coaches and other teammates Hmm. Um, we're able to be pulled and pushed Hmm. outside of our own comfort zone and our own perception of possibility and then we start to perceive that like wow I actually am able to get that ball or to um, stand up in front of the group and say these things or you know to do all these different things Um, And it wasn't until I was outside the context of a team that I recognized that really team is Mm -hmm. the X factor. Mm -hmm. So if you would have asked me in those 16 years, like, wow, Reed, you've been around for a long time. (laughs) Like, how did you do that? Well, uh, I think there's some athletic ability. Uh, I'm hyper competitive. Uh, I am compelled to solve problems. And right now my problem is how do I win the next game? And, you know, but once I got out of the team context, it was like it was because I was in the team. Yeah. Like that's how I stayed engaged Mm. so long. Cause I woke up lots of mornings not wanting to go to practice. Yeah. But I had to, it was my job. And once I got there, I was not motivated to work hard, but when I got there, like, you know, Brandon was and Tim, they were, they were going for it. So it was like, I couldn't just not go for it because they were going for it. Um, and so I, I just think that within sports, it is an opportunity for us to really shape culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Bad leaders are the ones that, first of all, have no following. Hmm. You know, if you have a hard time wrangling your team, yeah, I think a great place to start is to look at yourself, yeah, mm-hmm. and just be like, Why aren't they following me? Well, you know, am I leading myself well? Um, and I, I guess that's how I'd answer that question.
0: No, I mean, that's it, falls into in line with the mission of Pacifica, like we, we push our kids and we challenge our kids, but the goal of our staff and our teachers is we need to be right there with them. Like we do this all school retreat where we take all our teachers, we go out to young life camp. And I mean, I don't like getting dressed up in face paint and spandex <laughs> and running around fighting kids like with swords and doing silly games, but they need to know you're in that journey with them. Mm-hmm. Cause if they're not, when you have to push them and when you're in those trenches, they're not going to follow you. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to know you truly care and, and you know, care about them as people, not as a student or an athlete or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're human. Um, you know, as we kind of kind of hit our mark on time, Tim, do you, what do you, do you have any final thoughts or any final questions? I know you guys are both coaches, both players. I'm a soccer guy, so I, I'm, um, you know, not, not really in that world. But yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, I think, uh, Reed, as you were talking about team and just the mentality of waking up every morning and doing it for the team and getting out there, I laugh because I'm thinking, and I, you didn't even ask me to do this, but I got to plug in Sand because I did it. Uh, and I think that you created this awesome culture of team ship in workouts um and in i think that that's a great example of how we want our team to be at pacifica in the same way where i when i did your workout man i don't want to do that last rep i got bad knees i'm like what i gotta do this plyo stuff right now like i'm too tired (laughs) but i see so and so next to me doing it i'm like if they're gonna do it i'm gonna do it better i gotta do one more or whatever uh and that culture that you've built of family and community uh in in sand is exactly what we're trying to do at pacifica where we uh, we tell them all the time iron sharpens iron like it's you could be there but if you're doing one more than the next guy that's awesome uh mm-hmm. if you're edging him to do one more than you that's awesome mm-hmm. uh and that culture and that community is so difficult to build um but once you have it it doesn't really go away it just stays forever mm-hmm. uh and it's a fun element of sports that is i think is so important to us mm-hmm. um when as you've developed in sand, uh, what elements uh, besides the teamship, right? Obviously that's mm-hmm. a huge part of it. What elements of sport did you take into it?
1: Well, it's a great question because I basically took all of the elite training practices and have tried to make them accessible hmm. to the common Joe and Jane. Um, most people in my position would probably focus on a high elite club. It would be exclusive and expensive. Yeah. Uh, but I think I I was, I was doing all these speaking engagements and recognizing that like, man, man, my story is really resonating with everybody from steelworkers to, and I started to recognize that all the value lessons that I took from sport weren't, uh, predicated on how good I was at sport, Hmm. but I was just inside sport. So I was able to learn them. Yeah. So how do I create an environment where people could stay inside sport and get all these value lessons, um, without the need to be good at it. And so I had encouraged, you know, we're right here in Huntington Beach, yeah, um, right at Newland and PCH. Yeah, that's where our beach programs play. So we see you yeah. guys out there. Yeah, exactly. Around. And you know, f- for the parent, I would like to say that like, hey, this is your opportunity to, to engage in sort of a sustainable mm. um, training regimen. You know, gyms are closed, uh, but out there we have provided a safe environment with the breeze and we, j- we think it's great. But the sand affords sustainability because it makes it harder to work in mm. without the impact of your joints. So as we age, that's really important. But for the, um, the student that's listening, I think where we really focus on for students is just that perception of possibility. So if you're coming to sand and you're under 18, mm. um, you're fit, you're good. You know, um, what we're going to be really working on is your mentality Mm -hmm. and trying to help you understand that you're you're capable of more than you're settling for right now. And we're going to keep pushing you there. Um, But it's been I I think the elements of creating that space is um, just creating an open feel, um, valuing the individual. And uh, making everyone feel like this place is for you. I mean, we've got mm. Butch May, Misty May's dad, who trains with us regularly. He's 80 years old.
2: <laughs> and awesome. then
1: we've got, you know, Sydney and Addie Terrell, who are, you know, 12
0: and 14. Yeah. And everyone in between. And, um, and you started in SAN pretty recently, right? In the last couple of years or yep, so? Yeah, last couple of years. Okay. Uh, and I would say
1: it probably goes back to your original question, uh, if we have a few moments. Yeah, yeah. So I think the most important thing that any coach has showed me was Huma Kutchen. And And um, it was right at the, the, the second loss. So uh, now I'm ready to invest my whole self. And mm-hmm. he became the head coach that year. And it, I wasn't, it wasn't an isolating experience for me. All mm-hmm. of my teammates had reached the same point of just like, okay, we've made it to the dance. Uh, but how do we win this thing? Yeah. Uh, and he came in and he canceled practice. One of the first things he did, he cancels practice and tells us to meet him at the Anaheim convention center Hmm. uh, hotel. Sorry. And we go, we go there and he's like, Hey, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to write a mission statement. Hmm. And we were like, what are you talking about? you?" (laughs) Uh, You know, we're all like mid twenties. We're like, we're not, you know, we're, We're not professionals. Gonna, what are you yes, talking about, man? Like get us in the gym. Let us get sweaty and like yeah. aggressive and we'll fight and yeah. we'll do all these different <laughs> things. So he makes us for two days, sit in a room and talk about like, Hey, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Uh, what do you think that you have that we could leverage hmm. that? Maybe the world doesn't have, you know, the rest of the world. And so we go through this whole exercise, kicking and screaming, totally making fun of him. He had thick skin, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, we come out with this mission statement and this mission statement reads, uh, we are going to win the 2008 Olympic Games um, in Beijing. And the way that we're going to do this is that we're going to become students of the game. We're going to work tirelessly with mind and, and body. Uh, we're going to be great teammates. Um, we're going to be fierce competitors. And we're going to do this in such a way that we bring mm. honor and respect to our country, huh. to ourselves and our country. And Um, at the time I had, you know, even over the next four years, I had no idea the impact of what those two days had, but what ended up taking place was he would reference our mission. And by the way, Hmm. if anybody in the world saw that statement, they would have laughed. Like we were not the, the announcers were not saying like, oh, look out for USA. (laughs) They're, they're the up and coming trending team. Like, no, that was not happening. Uh, so it became prescriptive. Like Hmm. this statement became prescriptive. It aligned us all towards one goal. And um, every day we would start at the whiteboard and end at the whiteboard. And he would reference it at both points. And at the end of the practice, you know, he would basically say like, hey, we're here to do this thing. So let's go do it. And at the end of practice, it would be like, did we take a step? We're not looking for a big step. We're looking for these 1% gains, incremental growth. And uh, I could remember, I think there was like two throwaway practices in Hmm. four years. The team that uh, won bronze, nothing against them uh, or or us. I was a part of it. We probably had one to two throwaway practices a week. Hmm. And it's not a throwaway practice where nobody went hard. It was just like, we just-
0: We weren't our best. We know that.
1: Yeah, we didn't grow. We just got sweaty. We did our thing, Hmm. you know, whatever. but that team in two, you know, so we literally got the most out, out of it. it. And so all to say that we ended up winning bronze under tremendous uh, distress. I don't mm. know if you guys remember, but Hugh's family was attacked I by know. a terrorist. Oh, wow. Um, the day before the Olympic ceremony. So we're, without our coach, uh, it was it was a tragic event where our coach's wife's uh, parents were attacked huh. in Tiananmen Square. The uh, the father uh, was killed. Oh wow! The mother was stabbed so many times that she had like incredibly like I don't know forty plus surgeries. It was it was terrible, and uh, we were without our coach for the entire preliminary rounds. Huh? Um, and we had to just like stay the course. And oh. he, re- you know, we get out of the preliminary rounds into the medal matches. He returns, and we ended up barely winning the quarterfinals, you know, in the fifth set, barely mm-hmm. winning the, the uh, semifinals. And then we took care of business and, and the gold. And a lot of people like 2008, to, 2008. Okay, A lot of people try to make it about that moment, but it was really in spite of it. It would yeah. be dishonoring to them to say yeah. that like, oh, it would be dishonoring to our coach really to say that we won. in because of that, it was mm-hmm. in spite of. Uh, it was him taking us. you
0: two years l- earlier exactly. into a room and saying, who are, who are we? So yeah. Who are we and how are we um, going to go about it? And it's, it's encouraging because you're right. Coaches, you know, we girls soccer at the high school level, not the national level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have core covenants. And it's like, you know, working hard and work at like you can. It's easy to hold a kid accountable. Mm-hmm. Easy to hold any teammate accountable if you have it. And I know you have some similar things with your yeah, boys absolutely. team. Yeah. Um. But, well, thank you, Rhett. <laughs> Reed, sorry <laughs> for being here. Tim, thank you. Yeah. Um. I Thank you to our listeners our, and our followers. I uh, encourage, go on to INSAN. I'm sure you guys are on social media, right? And yeah, you have a website. Movinsan.com. There you go. You can check them out there. Check us out at pacificathletics.org, YouTube. You know, Give us a thumbs up, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, hope you guys have a great week. Thanks, guys.